As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello again, welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wisencroft. Today, star boy Kylian Mbappe lays down his credentials as the best in the world. Does his greatness underscore Barcelona's demise, though? Elsewhere, referee is charged with improper conduct for locking heads with a player. Is it right or wrong for officials to bite back? And the red and blue halves of Merseyside collide at the weekend with both in desperate need of all three points. Lots for us to discuss and a cast of Times journalistic firepower to help me through it all in the shape of Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark and Jonathan Northcroft. How are you doing, guys? Very well. Not bad, you. Not bad. Not Go bad. on, Tom. Go on. You might as well what? get it off your chest. No, I I was <laughs> last night, I, this is, I'm going to get two ends of the spectrum because last night I was with Mickey Gray, former Sutherland defender, absolutely ecstatic that they had reached the Papa John's trophy final. Of course, at the expense of Lincoln on penalties. How are you feeling? Uh, I w- it's funny because we've had such a good season. It was nice to be in a strange way. This is me trying to be reflective now, but it was nice <laughs> to be that angry about football for once. We were awful, absolutely rubbish. Um, we conceded an awful goal. It was one of those terrible moments that I'm sure any football fan can um, empathise with when you watched an opposition team do something over and over again and nearly score. And you think, surely we're not going to keep letting that happen. And it was just, they've got a striker, Charlie White, who's very uh, good in the air and is in good form. And we just kept letting them cross it for him. And eventually he scored. And there was a bit of a paddy and a tantrum from me in my living room. And then to compound Matt as we lost on penalties. And then on top of that, the takeaway that I ordered at kickoff at 6pm didn't arrive until nearly nine o'clock. And with a little apology from either the delivery driver or the restaurant, I'm not going to name them because I think that's a bit harsh. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I should apologise to my girlfriend because when we lost on penalties, I, I did a little paddy and kicked the um, the drying rack and it went flying and uh, it was a bit embarrassing. So, sorry, I apologise. I hope you've calmed down for this hour with us and we can make it. Doesn't make it, does it? I'm not that kind of player. I'm honestly not that kind of player. I lost my rag briefly. I kicked out, caught the drying rack off the ball. I'll, you know, I'll take the ban. I'll take the ban. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a bad, it was a bad reaction. You aren't that kind of player. You, you've compelled us all to just get along this season. So I know, I know. You're going to have to apologise to the drying rack a little bit later on as well. Because yeah, that's, I will that's do. slightly out of hand. Um, and we'll talk about Alan Judge and Ipswich a little bit later on because he, he used those exact words, Paul Lambert talking about his player, not that kind of player. Uh, we will find out exactly what Alan Judge has been in the middle of a little bit later on. But we've got to talk about the Champions League first of all. Hell of a performance from Kylian Mbappe a hat-trick for Paris Saint-Germain in the last 16 first leg. The French side won it 4-1 at the camp now. 
it is weird to think that, that we'll be discussing a World Cup winner who's already finished in the top seven of the Ballon d'Or uh, voting on three separate occasions as, as somehow having announced themselves as the next footballing great, but many people in the media have and on social media as well. Why do you think we're doing that, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, the old passing of the baton, which, um, yeah, yeah, we've read that a few times over, down the years already about Mbappe, haven't we? I think we're, I think we're, I think we're still rightly obsessed with Ronaldo and Messi. Um, and funnily, I saw some stats this morning with Haaland, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Messi compared over the last two or three seasons. And actually, the two old boys are just right up there with the, the two younger guys, even now. So, of course, the, you know, they're part of the fabric of football. And um, this point in time when we lose them as, as, as you know, what they are is, is, is always going to come. And I suppose that's, that's why in the back of our minds... They're just the reference point, aren't they? So Mbappe, you know, to use a cliche, is killing Mbappe. He's not, he's not either of the two of them, but they are the reference point for, for brilliant performances in football. And I suppose it was the fact that it happened against Messi um, gave people an easy line. But um, I, do, I, do, I do feel that two things. Messi's not finished. And of course, as you say, Hugh, Mbappe's been going for quite some time, so... It's an interesting one, uh, Tom. It was a fantastic performance from Paris Saint-Germain. Kylian Mbappe, of course, central to it. But but is it just that, as Johnny says, Ronaldo and Messi have been so great, so dominant, really, the two of them for so long, that people have been crying out to sort of anoint the, the next... In, in I can only compare it to sort of tennis, you know, these guys that have been so dominant in the shape of Djokovic, Federer um, and Nadal for so long that, that there's always now like who can break them, you know, who can break this dynasty um, has, has sort of filtered into football, which, of course, is not an individual sport, which is why I hate the term changing of the guard, because it's a team game football. Um, but it was used so much this week and, it, uh, and uh, I think it is so lazy, but there you go. Um, what do you think about it, Tom? Well, we live in a world, not just in sport, of sound bites and short clips and things. And there was um, a former colleague of mine did a very funny tweet where just after Mbappe completed his hat trick, uh, he posted a screenshot of him where you can do the thing on Twitter where you mute certain words. And he posted uh, a screenshot of his own Twitter where he'd muted the phrase, that's it, that's the tweet. Because in football these days, you know, you post like a clip of a great player doing something fantastic and it's just like, that's it. That's the tweet. And, you know, that, that, is, the, that is the kind of catch all for greatness these days. If you can get a viral um, clip of you scoring a goal. But you, you make an interesting point there, Hugh. You say that, you know, we can't compare it to tennis because it's not an individual sport. And that's quite right. And Messi and Ronaldo have been unbelievably good. But Ronaldo has been part of teams where they have played in order to get the best out of him. Manchester United did that. Wayne Rooney, I, for me, I always say Wayne Rooney arguably sacrificed himself for the greatness of Manchester United and Ronaldo. Um, similarly, you know, players like Carlos Tevez and Park Ji-sung, I'm not taking anything away from Ronaldo, but he did have that team working for him. Similarly, Karim Benzema when he was at Real Madrid. And obviously, Lionel Messi has gone through many different adaptations of his game and as Barcelona have adapted around him, you know, he played off the right coming inside. And then with Luis Suarez, he formed a very effective, deadly duo with Suarez doing all the work, running into all the channels, all the space to make space for him. So that that's always worth keeping in mind when we talk about these players 
coming through. You know, what 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 matters is that Mbappe was fantastic for PSG because PSG worked for Mbappe. Um, I think it was quite striking that Neymar didn't wasn't in the team, so it then helps you you know, for gear your team towards Mbappe. Their midfield was fantastic. I thought Verratti was superb. Paredes equally was fantastic. And again, it, you know, it, it was a performance that slightly reminded me of France at the World Cup. And we've seen clips of Paul Pogba in the dressing room screaming at his midfielders to go, get the ball, nick the ball, get it out of your feet, give it to Killian. And that, that's, why, that's why Mbappe was so brilliant at the World Cup, because France played for Mbappe. With greatness comes a need for the, your team to be working for you. And that, that shouldn't go uh, unnoticed that PSG were great as a team, which allowed Mbappe to show his greatness and his potential. But that has to be factored in when we get excited about their future potential. What teams are they going to be in? Who are they going to be playing alongside? And how can their tactics bring out their greatness? Gregor, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe you as the excited one on the podcast, but are you excited about about them for the future? What would you describe me as then? The miserable <laughs> Scotsman. Sorry, the voice of reason, I think. The voice of reason, I think. Oh god, yeah. I mean, it's thrilling to watch. It's kind of manages to be such a you know graceful, a graceful runner, but at the same time electric. <laughs> kind of, it's just he is a, an absolute joy to watch, and I think. You know, coming back to why we always have a discussion about we always, even in football, it's a team sport. We always want to have a discussion about who the best is, and the thing, the reason that yes, Mbappe's been here a while. He's won the World Cup. He's he's already done a lot, but Messi and Ronaldo aren't going anywhere. Normally they fade. They would be would have faded by now. Messi looks like he kind of perhaps might be, but he's obviously playing in a in a much. Uh, reduced team uh, but the things that they're doing are just remarkable and the, the longevity of it as well so you know I think this yes Mbappe's been around a while but it's kind of it's natural I think for, for us to want to look to the future and who's going to be the next star and my god he is, he is a thrill to watch I just could not imagine playing against someone with that pace but combining it with the kind of I don't know the balance and the you know his first goal he often looks like he has time to take a touch where no one else, no one else would. You know, when he took he took that little touch onto his left foot, and then he managed to take another touch in the penalty box. That's a kind of killer moment, that killer instinct to, you know, to take to balance himself and then get the shot off. Most people are kind of sliding or scrambling on their feet. I certainly would have been. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, he has that kind of the, not just the pace and the electric kind of speed, but the the balance and the and the poise as well when it really matters. So he's yeah, absolutely brilliant to watch. I mean, but before we, we we started this, you you were talking about how you've you've got to see Manchester City to in the flesh to almost appreciate how good they are. And I I had that with Mbappe um, watching him at the, the the World Cup in Russia, where it, it, it's hard to actually like exactly put your finger on it, but you know when you see it in the flesh, when you see that player who's just got. Um, that extra level of appetite, that extra level of charisma on the pitch where everything is sort of focused on them, where when the team's not in a, in a kind of lull, they're the one that's, that, 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 that kind of does something, shows for the ball, whatever it is, does a trick to get everyone going. The, the winner, you know, you see the killer on the pitch and that was Mbappe watching that French team with all the great players, Kante and Pogba and, and Griezmann had a great World Cup. But it was Mbappe that you saw, um, and 
I think we, you know, for PSG for the last two or three years, he's carried them for me more than Neymar. Neymar's had brilliant performances, but it's it's Mbappe, and and that's what Ronaldo and Messi have got. You know, that's what's kept them at the top for so long, and he has clearly got it as well. That's where maybe the comparison will be valid. Different players, but he's got that thing. He's got he he's got that that desire that just that extra that you see it, you see it in a player. Um, and and that you can't teach that. That's that's just what that's what's got him so far. So so you know already, and that's what'll keep him there. The other thing in the flesh is again the speed. When you see a player that's so fast, your eyes widen. I remember the first time. I know he's not on the same level, but I remember first time I saw Adama Traore, and I think he was playing for Middlesbrough in the Championship, maybe. But he was weaving in in and out players, and it was so jarring. You were kind of you were like, wow, what is you know who is this guy <laughs> and it's the, you know there is something just about that speed it's like you know Ronaldo as well Brazilian Ronaldo when you first saw him and the speed at which he could run with the ball it was kind of you know as I say your 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 eyes just go wow <laughs> it's it's thrilling I think watching Mbappe it's that ruthless element you know to it as well a career killer, pretty much. I mean, that's what he looks like he set out to do to to make people have nightmares about him for weeks afterwards, or, you know, after they've played against, a game against him because, you know, he had a little spat with Jordi Alba during the game as well and Jordi Alba sort of said, check your ID, mate, you're a pretender. <laughs> and a lot of people reacted to that as well, clearly, Tom, on social media. But it was one of those moments where a lot of people said, not tonight. No, he's the real deal, Jordi. And I think people are going to be dealing with him for some time yet. Um, we got reminded of another young, great goal-scoring talent in the Champions League this week as well, Gregor. Erling Braut Haaland uh, responded to Mbappe with a couple of goals against Sevilla in Dortmund's game as well. Um, are these two, Mbappe and Haaland, sort of the next great rivalry of those big names in football? A lot like we've seen people pit Ronaldo against Messi. I think so. And I think, uh, I think the thing about it as well is they look willing to embrace that as well you know as, as we said you know Haaland obviously mentioned him beforehand saying that was motivation seeing him get uh, Mbappe get a hat-trick and the, 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 how fearless they both are as well it seems is, is remarkable it's kind of but, but, there's, but they're, they're also so different and you know so effective in their own in their own ways and he Haaland's like a battering ram as I say Mbappe runs he's so graceful uh and Haaland looks like he's kind of ungainly, almost clumsy, but it's so effective and it's so kind of, you know, bewildering for defenders. You saw it when he, I think he was uh, for the opening goal, Dahoud, when he came, he dropped wide and kind of skipped inside and he's, he's running all, ar- all arms and legs, his limbs are flying around everywhere and no one knows what he's going to do. He's so unpredictable. So, and and just so kind of brutal in front of goal as well. So absolutely deadly. So, yeah, I mean... Two players who it's not just their ability and and you know the way that they've exploded onto the scene. It's the it's the fact that they're so fearless with it as well. That's that's what makes them you know such such uh, thrilling prospects. Let's do a little bit of trivia because uh, Mbappe is the third player to hit a Champions League hat trick against Barcelona. You guys might know the answer to it already. Um, the two other players who have scored Champions League hat-tricks against Barcelona. Can you guess them? This is the bit where our producer John plays in some sort of countdown-type quiz question music in the background. 
They're not not from uh, they're not from English teams, are they? Van Persie. Van Did you Persie. see it at the Camp? No, no, no. Oh, anyway. Just in the Champions League. Did anyone for Liverpool when they when they beat them? Not a Liverpool player. No. no. Not an Arsenal player. Not an Arsenal. Pl- Arsenal mm. Patricks against Barcelona. I, t- I thought they beat them once, but today me, is the birthday of Bobby Robson, connected uh, to one of the clubs in question. Newcastle. Newcastle Aspria. United. Fastino Espria. Tom is one of those players, and the other one was a massive underdog. Played for Chelsea in a very unsuccessful spell. Crespo? Not Crespo. Shevchenko, Gregor. Yeah, Andre Shevchenko for Dinamo Kiev scored a hat trick again. I thought you'd get those immediately, guys. It shows Mbappe had a very, very special evening because hat tricks against Barcelona do not come around often. And lots was made about um, Mbappe, of course, rightly so. But the two managers on the night as well were discussed at length for very different reasons. The Times European football writer Ian Hawkey joined me a little bit earlier on to discuss Ronald Koeman, the Barcelona boss, and PSG manager Mauricio Pochettino. I started by asking Ian what impact the former Spurs boss Pochettino has had since taking over in Paris. The answer to that question changed on Tuesday. Um, that was by far his his biggest statement game. Um, he's, he's only been there, what, six or seven weeks. And if you look at the results, he hasn't he hasn't done that much better than Thomas Tuchel was doing, uh, you know, leading up to the time when he was he was rather suddenly fired. Um, but, it, you know, that was that was a that was a really emphatic victory, and there were and there were a few little signs of what Pochettino has done, particularly in say Marco Verratti, who who played has been playing a more advanced role generally under Pochettino, and and he was he was brilliant at both ends of the pitch against Barcelona. Um, and remember, this was a victory without Neymar and Angel Di Maria, which is you know which is two of the first choice front three really. So. So that's a real feather in Pochettino's cap, I think. Were we watching, do you think, the arrival of Poch's PSG? I know you say it's a statement, but there are many that think it's the collapse of a footballing giant in the shape of Barcelona. You know, it, it's crumbling right now. Was it more about a poor Barcelona than a great PSG? Uh, well, a, a, a little bit of both. I mean, Barcelona, Ronald Koeman, their, their head coach, put it, put it quite nicely, actually, that, that Barcelona are in a journey, a transition, decline some people would call it um, and and they have a certain level and the Champions League is not that level uh, they've had they've had a, a good run of league form but you know this was a this was a jump up and they were torn apart weren't they the, the veterans looked slow and off the pace and the youngsters looked looked bewildered um, and and the overpriced would-be stars uh, looked as if they wouldn't get into the PSG team. And I'm talking about two French players, Ousmane Dembele and Antoine Griezmann. Uh, so, yes, I mean, Barca are in real trouble as, as much as at any time in, in the last 15 years. Um, and, and, and Koeman is right. There, there is a long way to go. Uh, before they're before they're anything like the Barcelona we've we've sort of grown up admiring. They're weighed down by debts. Barcelona, Lionel Messi, the star man could leave. They've got presidential elections on the horizon as well. It seems just like a massive moment for Barcelona as a club. C- can they survive this year? Uh, uh, yes, I mean they're they're not going to go out of existence, um, and they're probably not going to go bankrupt because they have a sort of institutional heft that means that means local banks will will help them out, but certainly not to anything like the degree that they have um, 
you know, in the last 10 years. Um, it, it, it is rather surreal at the moment. So, for example, either side of, of, of the humiliation against PSG, we had these rather grand television debates on, on local television between two of the presidential candidates, you know, speaking very earnestly about what had to be done. And um, and it, it, it all seemed slightly detached because um, it, last night, for instance, the, the, the question came up, you know, would you get rid of Kuman? And, and nobody will commit to that because they appreciate that Kuman is in a very difficult position. Um, and it, it just seemed, it, it just seems all rather irrelevant really this this presidential issue although when there is a new president which will be the first week of march um at least there will be more direction and issues like can we afford to keep messi has messi really got any intention of staying at a club that where he will probably not win the champions league again all those things will there will be more clarity about that Clarity is well over the manager i think going forward ronald koeman you know former everton boss i think many um, even though he's got that that history with the club, would say he's not sort of the, the caliber of a manager that, that Barcelona need. Will he be quickly moved out of a job after that election? Do you think? Yes, that's an that, that, that's an interesting view. I mean, <laughs> obviously, uh, you won't be surprised to hear that he's seldom referred to as former Everton boss Ronald Koeman in, <laughs> in, in, in Barcelona. He is well. You know, many is. many were calling the game on Tuesday the former Southampton boss derby as well. Which <laughs> that's right. It was a nice curiosity, and, and actually there was. Uh, there was there were nice moments. They, uh, Pochettino and Kuman clearly have quite a lot of respect for one another. Um, and a uh, small detail: Kuman was, I think, a more effective Southampton manager than Pochettino was. Um, but that's in the past. And Kuman does have a long past. He's managed a lot of clubs. He's 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 quite worldly, which in some ways is probably what Barcelona need. They they're not in a position to have a purist. Um, you know, they would love to have Guardiola back still, but they're 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 not really in a position to to have a luxury manager, if you like. And I I, I think Kuman has some sort of practical bossy characteristics, which which might serve them in this period. But you're right; it's it's hard to see at the moment that he is going to be driving a long term climb back up to the summit. Yeah, it's I wouldn't say he's an interim manager. But but it'll be a long time before somebody says, i.e. a president, he is the ideal manager for the next few years. And we were talking a little bit earlier on about Kylian Mbappe and his fantastic performance. Uh, he'll have in the summer a year left on his deal. Do you think Paris Saint-Germain can, can keep him there? I think they have a lot they can offer him, making him the figurehead as far as that matters to the player. You know, he is he is from the Paris region. He's, he's obviously French. Um, the, the issue always with PSG is, is whether the domestic league is enough of a stimulus for a superstar player. But I think if they win the Champions League uh, within the period of you know his, his current contract and, and, and show that they can become uh, a sort of a dynasty of, of, of European Cup winners, I, th- I think that would be very, very tempting for him. Um, also, you, you have to remember that, that the market is, is much changed. Um, he will he will cost a lot of money unless, of course, he runs down his his contract to 2022 and, and leaves for free. Um, and, you know, there isn't that much money about. Our thanks to Ian Hawkey uh, giving us the lowdown on both PSG and Barcelona. 
Um, Jonathan Northcroft, Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson. I wanted to play fantasy football with you next, just to end this conversation. Um, there is a big chance that Messi will leave Barcelona, Haaland could leave Dortmund and Mbappe exiting PSG this summer. Three enormous transfers if they happen. And if they do, I wanted to ask you guys, where would you like to see them next and why? We're going to start with Lionel Messi. Tom, I'm going to start with you. Where would you like to see him next? Can I just can I just check and clarify before, you know, the, the gloomy Scots come in and go, oh, cool, no, no, never going to happen for bloody hell. <laughs> this is... This is this is fantasy football, right? So we're having a laugh with this. Oh, we're enjoying he's going for Lincoln, isn't he? Jeez. Yeah. No, we're not going for Lincoln. I'm not going for Lincoln. I'm picking I'm picking Premier League teams because I'm sure our listeners will be interested, and I'm picking them for tactical reasons, right? So, but we're having a laugh okay. with this, yeah. Just checking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lionel Messi, Leeds United, and I'll tell you why, right? Mm-hmm. Leeds United want to go to the next level. He's got the Argentinian connection with the manager. Leeds with their crazy mad fitness-based, running all over the pitch. Plonk Lionel Messi in the middle. The opposition have got absolutely no chance, right? Because you've got two You've got two options. You either mark one of the greatest players to ever played the game. The opposition, you know, they, they, they can't pick up all the runners all around him and he can just find the players in space. Or you track your runners and you're just left with Lionel Messi there. Also, Messi needs to be in a team which is super fit who, where his teammates can do all the running and defending for him. Because let's be honest, having watched Messi in recent years, the guy isn't fond of tracking back. So, <laughs> which is a key component in modern football. So he needs to be in a team where his teammates are the fittest they can be. Sure so put him, in the lead, put him in the lead team. <laughs> so manager from the same country, so the connection is there. Big club, take them to the next level. Bielsa's leads, Mark II, featuring Lionel Messi. There you go. There you go. But you Gregory, didn't see that one coming, did you? No, I didn't see that one coming. And Gregory, <laughs> if we can't put together an attractive package for Lionel Messi, where do you think he'll go? It's going to be City, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm going to be the realist. I'm going to be the realist. I'm glad I had a I've laugh. Got one for Mbappe. I've, got one, I've got one for Mbappe that's a bit more left field, but let, let's be honest, it's going to be City. They're going to give him a blooming five-year deal where he visits every country that they have a football club and then becomes an ambassador for, for the last two years of his contract. Whatever. So it's probably going to be City. Uh, but I'll go for Mbappe, okay? Leicester. No, yes. that was what I was going for. Yes, yes we're getting in the first ten. It's got to be though, isn't it? Vardy, <laughs> a team that's built around Vardy and kind of springing defensive, high defensive lines. Mbappe, Mbappe's the perfect replacement. He'd maybe have to wait in the sidelines for a year or so while Vardy finishes off, you know? But, um... <laughs> perfect. Just let Demari Gray go and that would just, just slot in nicely to Demari's sport, yeah, sport, yeah. sport player role. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, you, why, why did you want him to go to Leicester? Same reason? Well, yeah, because I think, you know, having watched them, uh, watch PSG play and my references to France before, I think Leicester have got a midfield that would suit Kylian Mbappe. You know, you've got James Madison feeding him balls in behind uh, Wilfred and Didi and people like that, making sure they're defensively solid and he can spring counter-attacks and, you know, be the perfect uh, Leicester Mark II post-Jamie Vardy. Um, so that was that was my rationale. But, I mean, let's let's go back to Messi and try and find some interesting answers after Gregor's very boring Man City one. <laughs> let's not try and... Me- let's not let's not forget that he gave an incredibly boring answer before he gave an interesting <laughs> okay, go one. On. So, so we still... We, Hugh, Johnny, we need your Messi answers as well. Johnny, what about Messi? Just clearly go to Manchester United because they don't quite have enough players just to fit in that bit behind the, the striker. So they, they could play him Bruno and Van der Beek put, put Pogba forward um, it's a funny one with Messi because I actually think if you were I think he will go to City if anywhere in, in England 
But it's actually Haaland that's the player that I think if you put him in the City team, you'd just go, oh my God, they're, they're, they're going to be completely unbeatable. You just think Messi would, I mean, God, anywhere, but he'd just be, I don't know. I don't know. City have built such a unit and, and it, I think they would change and, and become the Lionel Messi team and they'd be amazing. But in, in some ways, I think it's Haaland that would finish them off. So yeah, Messi to Man U. Even Messi to up. Man U, Haaland to you'd, City. You'd, You'd be happy with Solskjaer managing the, 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 the final years of the career of one of the great footballers, wouldn't you, Hugh? I think world football would be delighted by it, not just me. You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's a dream for everyone. Um, I said at the start of the season, by the way, that I'd love to see Messi go back and end his career at Newell's Old Boys, which is the club that obviously he played his childhood football with but never got to play for the first team for. And you think, don't you be a hipster it. about it. Come on. No, no, but, 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 but now I just think... It's got to be that fairy tale story after the passing of Maradona. He's got to go to Boca Juniors and wear that number 10 at some point in his career and maybe get a little bit of the love back from the Argentinian public as well, who, of course, you know, have a, a love-hate relationship with him and his time in the national team as well. So so maybe that's my new fantasy football pick. Is that all right, Tom? Is that all right with you? It's a bit hipster. It's a bit gushy-gushy, isn't it? But it's fine. It's better than Gregor's, so I'll let you off. <laughs> I agree with what you say about Haaland as well. He, I think, would complete Manchester City, but he's the player that I would love, love, love to see at Manchester United. Who would he not complete? Well, he would transform any attack in the Premier League. He would. I, I just think the one club I suppose would be interesting to see him at Liverpool, they'd have to change the way they do things tactically and suddenly play off a, pr- a proper number nine and, and um, get Mane and, and Salah to do something else. Of course, be, of course, he'd make anyone better. But as a sort of tactical experiment, that'd be interesting. Tom? That would be a good Liverpool mark too, wouldn't it? Rather than a number nine dropping really deep, a number nine who gets in the box and maybe maybe play Robertson and Trent as wingbacks and just let them bomb forward without worrying about defence for once. Um, but, you know, just just to try and keep things interesting from um, all these answers. <laughs> Another option from Mbappe could be, um, could be Arsenal under Arteta. We saw a bit of success for him when he first came in with Aubameyang and basically playing on the counter-attack and into those channels, put Mbappe in the same team. I'm sure there would be lots of moments with Achille and Mbappe stood on the halfway line at the Emirates looking around going, what on earth am I doing here? Uh, as Arsenal concede a third against Brighton. But that 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 could be good fun. Uh, Erling Haaland, my, my sensible option was Liverpool. My fun option because I thought that's what we were doing here, but apparently not, uh, is uh, go to West Ham and Moisey. The lad fries <laughs> off Crotty's. Yes. Stick him up yes. top. Stick him up top. Get the midfield, Declan Rice, get them all solid and just just hit him in the box. Like Man United with Ruud van Nistelrooy. Get wide, get it in the box. Erling Haaland would finish with about 35 goals. West Ham would make the, champi- make the Champions League places and win the FA Cup. Be absolutely glorious, wouldn't it be? And he'd look nice in the kit as well, I think. West Ham have got a nice kit. I think he'd look good in the kit. This is not a fun answer. I know people will say, well, it's obvious, but I generally think Mbappe to Real Madrid is still a fantasy football pick because I I grew up in the Galacticos era. I mean, that is the sort of player that Real Madrid superstardom is what they need. You know, forget trying to put a good team together. Get the biggest names you possibly can in world football. Stick them on a pitch, see what happens. And Mbappe is the start of that. Get him in for 10 years and try and win what you can. And maybe, you know, we'll be calling him the next Ronaldo, I guess, if they can win three or four Champions Leagues while he's there. Um, Dream state right now because... 
God knows those three players are going to cost hundreds of millions of pounds. And we don't know if that's uh, the sort of thing that football can do right now. But it's going to be really interesting to see um, exactly what happens with Messi, Haaland and Mbappe. All stellar players. And remember, if you love our superstar lineup, you can give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. You can also subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times on all of your devices right now. And you will get yourself one month free. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Next up on the game, we talk about Ipswich Town's goalless draw with Northampton Town in League One. Amazing game. No, I'm only joking. It's not exactly the football we're going to be talking about. It wasn't overly eventful as a match. Except for a moment late on in the 90th minute when the referee Darren Drysdale moved his head towards the Ipswich midfielder Alan Judge, appearing to to square up to him. Drysdale has apologised, saying he did not maintain composure. He's also been charged with improper conduct by the Football Association. So, Gregor, a mixed reaction from fans on this one. Some loved it, saying, you know, the referee should give back sometimes. Others saying it was very inappropriate. I wondered what your thoughts were on it. I mean... (laughs) The first thing is I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often with the amount of you know you have to be you have to be able to maintain a very cool head with the amount of abuse that referees take and there's a big conversation to be had about how that should a be kind of dealt with and be why it's happening really why we're allowed we've allowed it to happen for so long but then you also hear Paul Lambert coming around saying if the rules were reversed and Judge had done it then he probably would have been looking at a big ban. And he's probably right, actually. So, you know, I think referees do have to be held up to a certain standard. And although, you know, part of me thinks you you, you see him being charged with, with improper conduct and you think this is unnecessary. And I really hope he's not, you know, suspended or there's anything, any serious action taken because it was a momentary lapse. Judge doesn't want anything to happen. Um, you know, we don't really know what... 
tried to find out as well, but it's hard to know. I don't know what judges said. I don't know if there's been an ongoing kind of running battle throughout the game or whether he's been nipping away at his, you know, his abilities as a referee, that kind of thing, which happens a lot. Um, so, you know, I don't think there should be any, any kind of impactful kind of uh, there shouldn't be any big impact from this there shouldn't be any 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 serious ramifications for Drysdale but uh, at the same time you know you do have to look at it. if the player had done it he would be he would have been punished so and referees have to maintain a certain standard of kind of of uh, professionalism so yeah I'd, it's one of the I'd basically I, I'm split about it I'm a little bit you know I think it, something has to be, you know, something has to be done. It's okay. He's been charged with improper conduct. I'd hope he's not. There's no real punishment. But at the same time, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more because, and there's really, it kind of opens up another conversation about the way that referees are treated on the football pitch. You've been out there yourself in the on on the pitch. Tell us what it's like. Have you ever seen or heard a referee say something back that you felt? cross the line or do something that you felt crossed the line yeah well, yeah i mean you get referees who you know they're all they're all their own kind of distinct personalities and there's people who you come to know would would say you're having one or something like in the middle of a game they would try and you know if if they're taking a lot copping a lot of flat they'll try and do something to nip it in the bud um i've never known anyone would be kind of personal or i don't think i've really heard anyone swear anything a referee um but the the you know as I say each referee has his has his own kind of his own way of handling. It's been interesting to read the as we've spoken about so often this season, all the other referees discussing what they've made of it and and how there are kind of there are techniques to try and deal with this. They don't they don't point at a player. They hold out a hand facing downwards to act as if they're you know calming the situation. Or if they want someone to speak to come and speak to them, they don't give them a thing you know kind of the finger to say come over here they point to another part on the pitch so it's like will you join me over here you know they have all these tactics but in the heat of a game when <laughs> when someone is so abusive to you um as i say i'm surprised this hasn't happened more often the only thing you, there's only once i think there's uh kalina to thomas repka in a, a game between the czech republic and holland that's the only thing i've heard cited since where kalina kind of pushed them in the chest repeatedly to say, say, get away from, get away from here. But no, as I say, I've never seen anyone. I've never seen anyone, you know, be aggressive. Actually, be aggressive towards a footballer on the pitch. No, we have seen footballers be aggressive to referees, though. So I wonder whether it was something that was inevitably going to happen that a referee was going to bite back, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I think when when first saw it, the kind of immediate impulse it was just human impulse, just going, yeah, give them something back. And then, of course, you you, you kind of think twice you know referees cannot do that of course they cannot do that um i think i've said this before referees must be knackered at the moment you know darren bridesdale's 50 years old he's not he's not a fit 25 year old and he's having to referee in a season like this um traveling all over the place doing more games than normal and he snapped he clearly snapped i think to pick up gregor's point about how referees manage games my my brother was a referee in Scotland. He's re he retired a couple of years ago, but he went all the way from the Highland League up to the, the championship, Scottish championship. And he's quite a sort of sarcastic person by nature. And his, his way of managing the game would always be chatting back to the players in a sort of, you know, 
give them banter back basically in a, in a sarcastic way and he I think he found that as he went up the levels and as the, and this is only Scotland but as the scrutiny got higher his ability to do that wasn't wasn't so much you know the, the higher you go up the more almost people lose a sense of humor not the players but I guess the the, the way the assessors and um, the way you're looked at by the media and I do wonder for referees if they're we've said this before impossible position but they're they're now that their, their human element has just been removed. They're expected to be mechanical. And, and, and I don't know what tools they can use to manage a game. Clearly squaring up to players, silly, and you can, they can't do that. But um, I think they should be allowed some leeway of um, managing a game with a bit of personality. And I don't, I'm not sure if they can do that anymore. The other thing to say is that if you see the, if you see the, the footage, it doesn't seem nearly as bad as the still image. And it's a brief moment, you know. As it's, 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 we've said this already. It's like VAR. It's kind of things. The, the your your view on something changes when you see it in a certain in a different kind of context. And the still image, he's almost baring his teeth. He's looking like he wants to fight him. Okay, but if you watch the if you watch it in real time, it was over in a split second, and it, you know they were separated, and it didn't look quite as big a deal actually. So. You know, I think that's that's worth mentioning as well. I do think the players did well in that scenario as well because yeah. they sort of distanced Alan Judge and the referee and said, oh, they, they almost calmed it down themselves and said, all right, lads, you know, it was almost like two players had squared up and it wasn't the referee. Um, it was a really, really, again, we've had so many case studies, but it was a really interesting sort of scenario to see. I wonder how the FA will deal with it. Paul Lambert, the Ipswich boss, Tom, said afterwards that he'd asked Drysdale if he'd squared up to judge. He said the referee said nothing in response. I was surprised to hear Paul Lambert say, though, that referees know what they're getting into when they, they, they take up refereeing, which was a strange comment to me, almost saying, look, you know you're going to get abused, you've got to deal with it, and you shouldn't be doing anything in response. I don't agree that, that what Drysdale did was right, because I think it could have easily escalated into something else and he's a he's a lone guy with with 22 football players out there who owe him nothing so um in that response i'm sure he will be punished by the fa in that in that regard what did you make of the whole thing tom there's a couple of points i want to make briefly on the um the still image point about gregor there's another factor in that um drysdale is a quite a tall guy and he's a you know he's a former raf sergeant uh, <laughs> and judge is not massive he's quite a short guy so if you've got a short person coming up to a tall person and going saying something and that tall person chooses to direct a point back at them just by nature of just you know the physical stature of him it's going to look like he's you know squaring up to him almost and so th that's slightly unfortunate in this case in that you then get that very powerful still image but if you take that premise of a referee standing his ground now, I'm not condoning what he did, and it's not a great look for a referee, but a referee standing his ground. We talked recently about, in relation to VAR and in relation to decision-making, Gregor made, made an excellent point about referees having control in a game. Drysdale, in that instance, is asserting his control over a situation. He's made a decision, a classic case of players as storming in at him what ref what what are you on about and he stands his ground looks back at him and says you know jog on mate whatever you know whatever he said it's it's asserting that control over the situation there's there's loads of instances down the years of great again clips um pictures of you know there was that great one of i forget who the referee was but the manchester united players 
storming, led by Roy Keane, David Beckham, Dennis Irwin, Gary Neville. And they all look individually like they're pulling back their teammate, but actually they're just going, let me at him, let me at him. I'm still, you do what? And the referee is just backing away, backing away until he almost runs out of pitch because there's nowhere else for him to go. In that scenario, you know the Manchester United players are in control. In this scenario, Darren Drysdale is definitely in control of the game. And you know, it's not it's not a great look, but I, I have... I, I am trying to find a way of defending him because I think I would far rather he had briefly stood his ground, even in a slightly aggressive manner, than ceded and walked back and, you know, uh, given in, if you like, to the players. And it's interesting how many, you know, obviously I follow a lot of football league fans on social media and things. And it, it, for all its faults, it is a good sometimes a good barometer of a general quick reaction to an incident. And it's interesting how many of them seem to be universally, not in support of Drysdale's actions, but saying, fair enough, you know, good, good on him. And it almost reminds reminded me slightly of reading about um, John Prescott and the guy who threw an egg at him. And he, you know, it's, it's not the same extremity, but, you know, and he kind of swung a punch at him. And the reaction afterwards was almost like, well, good on him, you know, bloody hell, good for him. And, the, the 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 support, if you like, that Drysdale has got amongst the Football League fans who can be vociferous in their criticism of the refereeing at that level, which cannot be good at sometimes, um, I can promise you. But so I found that really interesting as well, that there wasn't this immediate leaping on uh, to criticise him. And, and, you know, even though Paul Lambert said Alan Judge didn't say anything, you know, he gets up from the tackle. He marches over to the referee 10 paces. He's clearly trying to intimidate him. And what he gets in response is the referee takes one step forward and yes, puts his head to- towards Alan Judge. But yeah, it's hard to tell who was sort of more aggressive out of the two of them, even if words, you know, they were in one hand, actions are another as well. And it's clear that Alan Judge, in the way that he was marching up to the referee, was clearly unhappy, was, was trying to intimidate him, in my opinion. That doesn't excuse what the referee did, but it, you almost elicit a human response at that moment. And I think that's what Judge got. And I, I imagine there will be consequences uh, for the referee. What do you think those consequences should be, Gregor? Nothing. I don't think uh, you know he's been charged. You know, if it's th- this is in itself a warning, you know, you, you can't do this. If you do it again, there should there will be, uh, you know, repercussions. I don't think he should be punished in any way. I don't think he should be suspended. I don't think he should be. I don't know what else there is. You're not going to find a referee, are you? I mean, you, you could be demoted. What, what? I don't think. I don't think any of these things are uh, are. Or were they? I don't. I don't. I don't think that's worthy of the incident. I, I, the the thing. The thing is, I would. Agree, I found that very interesting as well. The public's reaction, as Tom said, I think that supporters don't like players surrounding and berating the referee. You know, it, it can it can ruin the spectacle of a game. How many times have we watched classicals and you kind of both Real Madrid and Barcelona players just every time there's anything just swarming the referee and it's, it's, it happens in every league. And an interesting thing, another directive apart from the the hand facing downwards and the pointing to a spot where you come and speak, you're supposed to keep two arm two arms lengths away from a player apparently. And if they're doing that, I mean, good luck. You're, you are backing off, as Tom says. You're constantly backing away from a from a group of players who who are going to continue to to come and speak to you and get up in your face. I think the the real conversation should be about how do we stop that happening. I remember one of the one of the first pieces I wrote for the Times. Was, I looked at it today. It was 2016, and there'd been those new directives about abuse 
of of officials and you were supposed to be cautioned if there was any kind of anything aggressive or any swear words essentially and you know it lasted about three weeks I wrote a piece about it, some of the some of the abuse I'd heard directed towards officials and some of the managers and stuff and uh, and yeah I think unless there's a crackdown on that then you're probably going to see more instances more, more, more instances like this and we will continue to see players surrounding referees, which I don't think anyone watching football wants to see. We talk about these moments and we've talked about this instant uh, capture that, you know, started this all off as a kind of, oh, wow, bloody hell moment. It would be great. Drysdale's due to take charge of uh, Southend against Bolton in League Two. I'm not sure whether he'll be taken off that game, but it would be great in whatever the next game he referees, you know, if the players took some kind of responsibility to, you know have some fun with it or something, you know, not seek to give some kind of moment in which, you know, Johnny, I found it interesting listening to Johnny talk about his brother and that kind of relationship with the players having, you know, a bit of a laugh or a bit of fun. You know, if it'd be great, if there was some kind of clip of Drysdale giving a yellow card and a player jokingly, you know, coming up to him and then, you know, patting him on the back or so some some kind of moment that would give Drysdale because you know this is a guy's career we're talking about here that is now under the spotlight massively so it'd be nice you know oh, put him on an Ipswich game let Alan Judge and him have a nice little kind of high five <laughs> before kickoff put him on the next Ipswich game or something I just you know we're so I feel like with referees as well they you know we've seen it with Mike Dean and the horrible things that have happened from that they, it's, it's that thing I've talked about backing off on the pitch also, in the grander scheme of things, it's just constantly backing away, backing away, backing away, backing away. And I think actually this incident has shown that fans have some sympathy with them. For all their frustrations with when you get a bad decision that go against you, fans do have some sympathy within football. And if there was some way of having some little viral moment that went round, did the rounds on Twitter uh, of Drysdale and a player, you know, having a jokey altercation, that would be great. It won't happen, but it'd be great. I'm, dream- I'm dreaming today. Messi to Leeds, referees <laughs> getting on with everyone. I'm just trying to enjoy myself. It'd be a good goal celebration, wouldn't it, for the next game that Drysdale takes? <laughs> yeah. But um, I just, just, just on the point, Gregor raised that we, if it was a player, if a player had done this, I'm actually not sure if anything would happen to them because it, not because of the momentary nature of it. When you really look at it, it was so momentary. Would that have even been a sending off? And if it wasn't a sending off, then would have anything would anything have actually happened to the player? The, well, the referee would have been. It, it would have been within his right to send them off. So it really yeah. would have been in the referee's hands whether anything more was made of it. I would suggest. If a player comes up to you aggressively and sticks his head in your you're probably you're, you're within your rights to send them off. Do you think most refs would? I don't. I think probably they would be so shocked and then they would come to their senses, kind of thing, and and probably they would. Yeah. yeah. It brings to me the, obviously the the thing with the Canio, and <laughs> uh, and then Nigel. Remember Nigel Winter? I remember I played with a guy called uh, Paolo Vernazza. Uh, I played with him at, at Rotherham. He used to play at Arsenal, and he said that for the rest of. Uh, his Arsenal career basically Nigel Winterburn the players would be walking down the hallway just like in training and whatever and they would 
And so you walk it past Winterburn and you go, oh, do the wee fright. Because <laughs> you remember the canoe came went up to him and he said, oh. Yeah, <laughs> so every time yeah. anyone walked past Nigel Winterburn just in the hallway in Arsenal's training ground, they were just like, oh. <laughs> I think he was right to be scared because uh, Paolo Di Canio was on a march at, the, at that point. I do think, though, I think I'm alone in this in saying that I think the referee needs to be punished, even if it's a, a couple of weeks off, because... You can't try and enforce the rules on the pitch to the players, punish them um, for various things. And then when a referee does something like this, which you probably would punish a player for, say that, that they can't be punished. It's just one of those things you, you can't undermine yourself, unfortunately. You know, the referees will be undermined by the idea that, that there is one rule for them and another rule for the players. If uh, I, I, I don't agree with Paul Lambert that it would be a six month ban. But I think you'd probably get a red card type punishment if you did that to a referee. So even if it's one game off for the ref, two games off for the ref, I think it's probably appropriate. But I do think they have to do something to be seen, to, to be taking it seriously, because it's it's a difficult one for them later down the line to be banning players and, and you know giving players red cards for similar things. People can easily refer to what they did with their own referee and say it's a double standard. So I think they, they will have to act on this, um, unfortunately, for Darren Drysdale. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe they won't. How do we stop players behaving like that towards referees? I think that's a personally, I think that's a more important conversation. I mean, unless they start booking any player who comes up and either acts aggressively or speaks to them in an aggressive manner, it will continue. And, and you know you could go even more extreme and say that only the referee, only the sorry, only the captain of each team could speak to the referee. You know, lots of things are mooted, but no one ever takes the plunge. As I said, there was those directives came in five years ago now, and they were forgotten about within a matter of weeks. So if you really want to see referees kind of respected, you need to crack down on and the people who are disrespecting them. I agree with that. We've spoken about it before. Uh, that's one for football to to deal with because I think. I think without fans in the ground, it was an opportunity to change the behaviours. Um, and we, 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 I think we've seen players behave a little bit better because they aren't egged on by a, a shouty, aggressive crowd. Um, but really, I think they should have used this period of time to, to completely change the way that players interact with the officials. And, and maybe it's going to be a missed opportunity. Um, you mentioned Mike Deeney back in the Premier League this weekend um, for the low-key affair between Burnley and West Brom. I'm sure there's not going to be any decisions for him to make in, in that game. Any grappling, any, any heavy challenges for him to officiate on, any VAR, etc. So it should be a comfortable weekend return for Mike Dean. It's going to be a similar story, I think, actually, in the Merseyside derby. Plenty of decisions to make, as always, in the Premier League this weekend. Let's discuss that next, because it's always a battle, and both sides currently are fighting for form. Three straight league defeats for Liverpool, but they did get a morale-boosting win over RB Leipzig in the Champions League this week. Everton had a morale-depleting 3-1 home defeat by Manchester City last night. One win in six for them in the Premier League. Johnny, it was an entertaining game back in October, a two-all draw, very eventful, VAR decisions at the end as well. Do you think we're going to see something similar this weekend? We might do. Um, it, 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 I, that was a great game. I was at that one. Um, of course, Jordan Pickford's back for the return, just add a bit of spice. Um, because both teams are in a position, as you say here, that they need to win, um, I, think they'll, I think they'll go for it. Um, and... Both teams can 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 really hurt each other because there are there are plenty of weak spots there. Um, what was interesting to me from that that game back in October was, you know, all this football without fans stuff. 
that Mersey Derby was as intense, maybe not quite so. There was still a huge intensity about a Mersey Derby, even without fans, um, which said to me how much how much the game means. So I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the game on Saturday, really looking forward to it. Um, Liverpool are in a, in, in a much better moment than obviously they were when I saw them walk off the pitch at the King Power last Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain that momentum. Tom, who's it a bigger game for? It's undoubtedly a bigger game for Liverpool. I think Carlo Ancelotti's got enough credit in the bank with Everton fans this season for their performances and the progress that they've showed Liverpool, uh, one episode we seem to be talking about a crisis, the next we're saying they're back. They were they were okay against Leipzig, I think, um, an opposition that played into their hands a little bit with um, some defensive mistakes and being a bit uh, gung ho in their attacks, which allowed Liverpool to you know be the Liverpool of old, the one you know the team that we know and love. So I think this is this is a massive game, and it's it's a game we've talked about this before. Surely Jordan Henderson has to play in midfield for Liverpool in this game, not just because it's a derby. It's a big game. His energy in midfield in driving them forward. And also, if Dominic Calvin-Lewin is fit, I don't fancy Jordan Henderson competing with him in the air, crosses into the box. So it's a massive game for Liverpool and one I would expect and hope to see their captain in midfield. The likes of Abdoulaye Decore and Tom Davies have been putting in a genuine shift of late every single match, giving their all. Manchester City run them around a little bit last night. But you're right, I think Jordan Henderson will add something and, and maybe Liverpool can capitalise on some tired legs if he does move into the midfield. That's one area, Gregor, to concentrate on. Of course, the midfield area. Also, Liverpool's defence, which has lacked of late, let's be honest. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Carlo Ancelotti says, has a good chance of starting at Anfield at the weekend. How, how much of a difference do you think his return could make to Everton? Huge difference. And I think, you know, particularly with his aerial threat, I think that's, you know, that's one area that um, Liverpool... He, there's been a few moments in games where Henderson even has been... And this is no criticism of him because he's not a centre-half where he's kind of perhaps been caught in no man's land a little bit when a cross comes into the box and he's been a little bit fortunate there was obviously that little piece of movement as well uh, towards the end where Leipzig nearly nearly pulled a goal back that was brilliant centre forward play but you know I just think I think Calvert-Lewin's kind of he's got it in him to do that kind of thing as well to to drag to drag a defender out and, and threaten him behind and also as I say he's one of the best headers of a ball in, in, in the Premier League and um, you know Kabak certainly had a more um, a much more composed and uh, sure-footed uh, display than, than his first game <laughs> um, but still that's still undoubtedly Liverpool's kind of kind of weakness so it'd be a huge boost to have to have Calvert-Lewin back and, and leading the line for them Kabak was, was so far off it last week at the King Power and I don't think the Leipzig game was a test for him so if I was Everton that would be um, whether Henderson's beside him or not that would be the that'd be the weak point to push at it could come down to how he does in that game. We will see. Uh, just quickly, let's end on predictions. Some people don't like to do them. You don't have to tell me the exact score. Is it going to be a full house? Liverpool going to win this one? Yeah, I think so. I think they're. I think they'll do it. I think they're back-ish for this week anyway. Gregor, draw. Tom, I'll, I'll go Everton win then. Why not? Two one. <laughs> Two one. Particularly if and I, I, I said my made my point about Henderson knowing full well that I'm pretty sure Jurgen Klopp will play him in defence. And therefore, I, you know, next time I'm on the show, I'll be gloating about how I'm right. 2-1 Everton. 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin off the bench or either starting? It's going to be a really interesting game in the Premier League this weekend amongst a lot of good games as well. I know Manchester City taking on Arsenal. Arsenal fans will be fearful. Uh, Wolves against Leeds will be a decent game as well. There's West Ham Spurs to look forward to. Manchester United, Newcastle, loads for us to discuss. You're forgetting the big one. Big games at the bottom. Big games at the bottom. Burnley, West Brom. <laughs> Dice v Allardyce. Come on, let's have it. In that case, it's going to be a bumper game on Monday because we'll be discussing 10 separate fixtures for the first time nope. ever. Join us once. Just a one-hour special on Burnley <laughs> v West Brom. Tune in Monday. Here we go. Let's hope it's not all about Mike Dean on Monday then. Uh, I'll see you guys then. Uh, Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, thank you so much for being with me. Remember, you can get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times right now and get more of our award-winning journalism across all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.